Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Cameron Files here on the KGRA Digital Broadcasting Station. And now I bring you your host, Grant Cameron. Good evening. It's November the 6th, 2018. This is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to The Cameron Files. As always, thank you very much for taking some of your valuable time to listen. Fasten your seatbelts for takeoff. We're about to go very, very fast. First, a little short update. I don't want to take away from my honored guest, Mike Cleland, uh, but a little update. I just finished a conference here in uh, Nevada. I can mention two things that I now know for sure. Trump was briefed. I'm not sure whether it was the ATIP program or the whole DEEP program, but I am absolutely certain this is the second confirming source that's given me this. Um, as to the DEEP program, I've written an article on MJ-12 and UFOs. I point I pointed to at least a dozen witnesses, and these are not UFO people. These are government officials and people like that who indicated that MJ-12 was real. The update um, that I have that I have seen is a transcript of an interview that absolutely confirms MJ-12 is real. Uh, most of the rumors that you're hearing are real. Unfortunately, um, I was sworn to secrecy. I was, at one point, I was only allowed to read the document. It comes from a very, very uh, special collection. If and when I can um, make it public, I will do so. But um, I have a lot of this article I have on MJ-12. I have a lot of people that, that are saying, uh, talking about MJ-12, people that we contacted over the years. Uh, this one was absolutely, there's no doubt in this. It's an interview with a very high-level intelligence officer and the person who's doing the interview. Everybody knows who he is. The person who's files, everybody knows who that is. So the only thing is I can't because uh, three of the four people are still alive. Now to tonight's show, my, my, my honored guest is Mike Cleland, who is an avid outdoorsman, illustrator, and UFO researcher. He has written extensively on the subject of alien abductions, synchronicities, and owls, and we will discuss all of that tonight. It was his firsthand experiences with these elusive events that have been the foundation for his research. His website, he has two different websites. I'm, we'll clear, get him to clarify, but I'll give one here. MikeClellan.com explores these events and their connections to the alien contact phenomena. Uh, this site also features over 200 hours of audio interviews with visionaries and experts examining the complexity of the overall UFO experience. Beyond that, Mike is considered to be an expert in the skills of ultralight backpacking and has authored or illustrated a series of instructional books focused on advanced outdoor techniques. He spent nearly 25 years living in the Rockies and now, I believe, still lives in the, in the Adirondacks. Adirondacks. Um, I, I, can, I can be thoroughly assured that um, this guest knows probably more about synchronicities, more about owls than anyone else. So good evening, Mike. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. Uh, hey, I guess hey, my... Oh, yeah, Andrea but, says hi. Andrea's downstairs. She says hi. Beautiful. Yeah. We had uh, the encounter, uh, and, and maybe we can start with that. We were together in Eureka Springs, and um, you had lectured, and it was at that point you and I and, and your your better half were going for dinner, and I remember, and this gets into synchronicities and numbers, which maybe you can start with that. Um, you told me when you came off the stage, you said, guess what time my lecture ended? And it was 1234. And then I remember we went to, um, the, um, 
to lunch, and then there was the numbers on the table, you know, the, beside the till, and it was one, two, three, four. And it was that, that bizarre sort of thing where I'd heard you talk about this kind of stuff, but when it actually happens in person, when, when I was with you, I went, wow, this is, I mean, this guy's got something to do with this bizarre synchronicity thing. Can, so can you talk about that? And there was one story I remember you telling, I don't remember the exact details, but it had something to do with a telephone pole. You were walking down a road or so. Do you remember that story? Telephone pole walking down a road. Let me, I told it from the stage. Or just too uh, no, you told it many years ago and it had to do something with they put they leaned something against a pole or something. Do you remember that story? No, maybe I, I imagine it. Oh, so you know, is it a, is a stop sign? It may be a stop sign, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. So, yeah, so this is a synchronicity story. This, this, is a, this is a good synchronicity story. I'll start with this. This is actually, you know, what's interesting. This was if you this goes back, I think. Oh, I think this was 2005 or six, and I consider that right at the beginning of when like whatever was going down with me started happening, you know, hard and fast. Um, I was living out West. I was, you know, so I worked for an outdoor school and I would always get sunburn. And then there were certain sunblocks that would kind of sting my face. I have sensitive skin, you know, you put yeah. some sunblock on your face and it stings a little bit. And I didn't want that. I wanted something that was, so I asked around and I asked these people and I kept on getting the same thing. Neutrogena 45, you should get Neutrogena 45. And about three people told me that when I was at work, you know, working, I was doing mountain work. And then I came, this is April and I came back to my hometown. Oh, this, you know what? I, I, I talked about this a little bit. I can talk as fast as I want on this. Usually I'm very, very cautious to speak very slowly. And but I, I got you to, to, <laughs> so I, yeah, so I'm going to go for it. So come back from the, um, uh, the, the work, uh, trip that I did. I was working outside. Everyone said Neutrogena 45. So I went to my little hometown and I went to the little locally owned drugstore and I, and I looked around, they didn't have it. I went to the little locally owned, um, health food store. They didn't have it. And I was going to go into the big giant grocery store and I, and I kind of just was like driving past and I didn't want it. I just didn't pull in. So I'm driving home and I'm, uh, it's, it's, uh, they, every season they do a, a cleanup along the highway. So there's big bags of trash along the highway. They do it every year. I knew just what it was. And I usually help out. So I got home and I walked into the garage and I grabbed a handful of trash bags and I stuffed them in my jacket pocket. It was April. It was kind of gray, crappy weather. And I started walking along the highway. And from where I was, my house was, there was a stop sign. I measured it. It's exactly a half a mile away. So I could walk to the stop sign, pick up trash along the way, cross the highway, and come back and pick up trash on the other side. So collectively, I'll do a half mile both sides of the highway. Seems yeah. good. So I, so I, uh, I um, I'm walking and it starts snowing, and I'm getting snowed out. And then the snow kind of turns to this ugly rain, you know, because it's the worst kind of like wet, sticky, ugly, soggy snow. And I'm already wet, so I'm like, do I turn around? I'm like, no, I'm going to the stop sign. I said I was going to the stop sign, going to the stop sign. So I'm picking up trash and it's gross and my hands are cold and it's the trash has just been out there all winter. So it's all soggy. And, and I get to the stop sign and at the signpost, literally leaning up against the signpost is a bottle of Neutrogena 45. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I, I, so here's what I, so in the moment I wrote about this and in the moment I just said, it's them. <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant, really. I, I was so early on into this. The instinct, the gut instinct, the the, the thoughts that flooded my head were, it's them. Yeah. And I and I, and I I was sort of at a point when I, like now I figure like, oh, it's them. I would say that would be the UFO occupants, would be them. And at the time I was like, what's going on? And that, I, so it sounds like a kind of a quaint, pretty story and everything like that. Let me tell you, it freaked me out. So I was 44 years old at the time. It was at a stop sign. It said, stop. And it was 45. 
that was the big fat number on the bottle. I was going to be turning 45 that year. And I, um, and this signpost, right? So, I mean, it was at a signpost. It, it was just, this whole event was just filled with so many little things. So here, this is, how do I back engineer that one? What happened? I have no idea, but starting then and continuing on to today, I mean, I still get crazy synchronicities. That was a, that's kind of a slam dunk that one, but, um, uh, so I don't know what to think as far as the source of it. All I know is that they're they're real. They happen, and that um, I have tried to. No, this is this is tough to. I have tried to live my life and and like let the synchronicities kind of steer me. Like if I get a really good powerful synchronicity, I trust it and I'll go with it. And that is partially the reason that I'm got into the UFO research at all because I was having so many synchronicities around owls and UFO stuff. And that would have happened starting right around that same time. Do you believe that it's 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 a uh, a message that you're on the right track? Is that because that's a standard sort of imp- people sort of think about that uh, you know, when it comes to synchronicities? You're you're on the right track, and maybe you can. In, and after answering that, you can sort of unravel for the five people who don't know how you started, how this all got it began, and how you came to link it into sort of the intelligence behind this. UFO phenomena. So uh, the first question is, yes. So the, the um, yes, you're on the right path. You know, there's a fellow who's an amazing researcher. He does a lot of research into synchronicity. His name's Alan Green. And he says that synchronicity is like a compass on a cloudy day. And you're on an open boat on the ocean. You have no way to know where you are except for your compass. You're dependent on your compass. And that's how he treats synchronicity. So I think that's a really nice way to, to try to, you know, visual metaphor for it. Um, now, oh gosh, I've, I got it. Let me see if I can race through this talk here. Cause I've told this story so many times. Uh, in 2006, I went camping with a friend. We went in the mountains. Her name is Kristen. Never met her. Didn't know her. She just said, let's go camping. And she said, yes. And so this was, this is actually the town I lived in. This is that's considered sort of normal, uh, sort of a backpacking town. Um, so went out for one night. It was a beautiful night. Didn't bother taking a tent or anything like that. We The weather forecast was glorious. So we're just going to sleep out under the stars. So the sun is setting. I'm sitting with this complete stranger and we're talking and she says something that's like, wow, I like was thunderstruck. I didn't expect, I mean, I, there was a depth to this person I didn't expect. In that moment, an owl flew over us and then a second owl and then a third owl. And for the next I'm going to say almost two hours, these owls flew around us. They landed near us. They landed on branches near us. And then when it came time to lie down, it was dark. The owls were still around, but we would lay down on our backs, look up at the sky, and the stars would be blotted out for just that microsecond as these owls would fly in front of our faces. Now, it's, you know, the owls are very silent in flight. It was so mystical. Uh, The next day, we were like, oh, that was so cool. And I said, hey, if we go, I might go camping later this week. I'll call you. And she says, great. So four days later, we go camping again, totally different part of the mountains. This is in uh, the Tetons on the Idaho-Wyoming border. And and, uh, beautiful. The Tetons are just amazing backpacking terrain and just just magical terrain. So it's a little colder this time. And so we're uh, we're kind of on a hilltop watching the sun go down. And as the sun is setting, three owls fly around us again. Now, this time... They were close. They were close, and and it was to have it happen once was pretty cool. To have it happen twice was totally weird. Like it was kind of freaked me out. Now, at the time, 
I didn't talk about this at all, and I'm talking about it now. As I was looking at those owls, both nights, four days apart with the same person, Kristen, I had a voice in my head that said, this has something to do with the UFOs. I'm looking at a real owl. I'm an owl standing on the ground at my feet. And a voice in my head says, this has something to do with the UFOs. So I, uh, afterwards, like they have it, like I got so freaked out. Like I, I, I started looking into my own experiences. Now I have, as a child, I had missing time. I had close up UFO sightings. Yeah. And even when I was 30, I saw, you know, five gray aliens out my window at a house I was living at in Northern Maine. Now I managed to ignore all that. I managed to deny all that. I managed to suppress all that. I managed to push all that away until the owls. Now the, after the owls, I was like, I got to figure this out. Yeah. I could, I could ignore all that other stuff. I couldn't ignore the owls. And I started looking into my own experiences. I went to Leo Sprinkle. I started talking to people. People would, uh, I started a blog in the following years. And, um, I, I, one of the first blog posts I did was on this story that I just told with Kristen in the mountains, but I couldn't remember what she said. So I contacted her after the blog post was up and I said, Kristen, what, what were we talking about? Do you remember the first night, the first owls that first, what were we talking about? She said, Oh, I remember exactly what we were talking about. I, I, and this is what she told me. She said, I was giving my most heartfelt definition of what God means to me. And that took I mean, that was, so that was 2009 when I heard that. And I mean, like I took, I'm not, I'm not at all churchy, but I recognize the power in that statement. And I went, I feel like I've been on, so this is going to be 10 years now in it shortly. So it's been 10 years of what amounts to full-time UFO research. Uh, that's not quite true, but it has been the last few years. Uh, and it has taken over my life for good or for bad. I mean, obviously there's sort of an obsession yeah. thing here. And I have asked everyone that I interact with, everyone that I talk with, you know, and I put the word out there. So I'm kind of putting the energy out there right on top of my website. It says, I want to hear your owl stories. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm asking, you know, have you ever had any odd experiences with owls? It's obviously not a hundred percent, but it's enough that there's a very real pattern in the stories that I've collected go from very kind of, you know, someone sees an owl, someone sees a UFO within a minute and then and then they go from that to extremely trippy and bizarre and um so that that says in a nutshell that's how i got started yeah um this weekend i was talking to um a guy who was actually from great britain and he had gotten a message he had to come to laughlin he had to see me he had to see paula almost like on a sort of a divorce situation with his wife and basically what it came down to is he had this um uh he called it a dream and this is, he has no recollection of being on a ship or anything like that, but he had a, a dream of an encounter with an owl. It was telepathic. He's talking to this owl in his dream. And he came across the fact that he knew everything in the universe. And this lasted for almost a day where he can only remember bits and pieces of it now. But have you had those kind of experiences where uh, you're talking about this connection to God where um, – there's this very direct link to how reality actually works in terms of owls. Um, so in a way, yes. Um, I haven't, I haven't had exactly that experience, but I've certainly had people tell me experiences very similar to that. Um, so yes, yeah, so there's this kind of, you know, I'm, I'm kind of at the point now where, you know, like I don't really care about the stories of people walking on ships and lying on tables and stuff like that. I hear that so rarely, like I am getting, I'm going to say, th this is a safe 
I'm getting three good owl stories a day. Wow. And and you multiply that. I'm getting I'm getting more than three emails a day about owls. And oftentimes people are asking questions that they're just, you know, or they're pointing out things that I've already found in the research and stuff. I get a lot of on up, but the big owl at Bohemian Grove. I get that one once a week. I get that email. Do you know about the big owl at Bohemian Grove? No, no, so, go, go through that. Yeah. So pardon? Yeah, go through that. And and how well, big is a big owl? Because I had a I have a friend in Hollywood who his wife didn't believe and he had this stuff going on. And then he tells me the story about she comes screaming out of the bathroom and says, get into the bathroom. And he goes running in there and he said, there was this five foot owl standing on the counter. And I remember you always showed the, the when you did your lecture, you showed her this four foot owl standing in front of the Wait, cop. wait, wait. So tell me the story again. So there's a, there's a five foot owl in the bathroom? Uh, sitting on the counter. And I said to him, was it five feet tall? Because you always talk about four feet. So I said, are you sure it was five feet tall? I said, oh yeah, it was five feet tall. And, and then he went running out to get his camera and he comes running back in and, and the thing's gone. But this is what dragged his wife into it. So his wife was saying, I don't really want to know what's going on because he had a bunch of experiences. He had a bunch of UFO experiences. And this is what sort of dragged her in. She went into the bathroom and this thing was sitting in the bathroom. So <laughs> so that's why I asked him. I said, are you sure it was five feet tall? Because I had never heard of five feet. I, I get five feet tall. I get seven yeah. feet tall owls wow. sometimes. I get wow. weird stuff. I mean, I have a guy that sent me a letter. I want to be very careful because he's so he was picking fruit at a at an orchard. Right. So he's on one of those big cranes, you know, so he's like driving around. There's like a crane that you drive and you sit in the bucket at the top and you get a little steering wheel. So you're controlling the thing from way up high. Right. So it's kind of like you can imagine this thing. So he's way up high and he's picking these um the fruit in the orchard and and then there's this i think i'm gonna remember this correctly like a flying saucer goes over yeah and then like air force jets go over which is commonly reported yeah yeah and he's standing there he's like picking fruit and in the tree in front of him at the height like way up there is like a five foot tall owl but he says the owl is like electric lemon colored like a like electric <laughs> yellow like a like a highlighter pen yeah. that color yeah. <laughs> and he's like and he's freaks out and he tries to drive away right so the like most dangerous thing you can do is like be whatever 25 feet up in the air and driving your little your little yeah. bucket driver yeah. as fast as you can through the orchard so he panicked and 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 drove away like that so um you know that so this when you say like here's in a way if someone says something completely absurd. I saw a five foot owl in the bathroom. Nobody yeah. would make that up, right? Nobody's going to exactly. make that up. If you're going to make something up, you'd, you'd exactly. want to make up something that's believable. So when someone says something totally bizarre like that, I'm like, Ooh, I, I trust this more that this yeah. bizarre stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so, so, so describe like a, a good owl story, like, like sort of standard owl story that, that you would say that this is a good, I mean, it has that in it. Oh, okay. yeah. Here's a, here's a, this is yeah. what, one that I'll just tell this one quick. This, um, some of them take so long to tell, you know, and, but here's yeah. one that, that this woman, um, she's in Brazil and she's in a high rise apartment. Um, and she's on her balcony and she's, she's actually, it's funny having gotten to know her a little bit through, through the correspondence we had and stuff. She's a very spiritual woman and she's looking out and there's this flying saucer, like zipping across the sky. It's close. And it's, there's a building right in front of her, right? So the way the streets and everything like that are all lined up, there's a tall building right in front of her. So she's, you know, you can imagine her following across the sky and has to pass behind the building that's close to her. So she's kind of turning her head, watching this thing zip by, and it should come out from behind the other side of it, but it doesn't. It like vanishes. And she stands on the porch there on her balcony and she says, okay, guys, where are you? In that moment, two owls came, landed on her balcony and lived on her balcony for the next two months. Wow. Wow. 
So, and these are real. I mean, whatever. Like it was, these were real owls. She said that one of them brought a dead rat up there and she like went out there and talked to it and says, you know, you would like enough. (laughs) (laughs) So she's, and then they flew away and left and such. So, um, yeah, I've had, so yeah, it's been remarkable, but, but that's a, that's a really, that's a one that I can tell quick. Some of them are so complex in a way. That's the, that's the, the, that was the meat of the second book that I put out were these more complex stories that just kind of like folded in on themselves in this way that was like, I don't know, it's how you would take apart like a, like a puzzle or something like that. Every little part was interlocked with every other little part. And, um, yeah, so the, the second book was, were these long, more complex stories. And that was hard work because the, because the stories all were complex enough that it was tough to, to, to unpack them in a way that the reader could, you know, wouldn't lose their mind trying to figure out what I was with the story, you know, how the story played out. So let's go through the two books. Mention your two books and then mention what's the bottom line. What, what conclusions have you come? Because you had a bunch and then you got, I guess, like almost like the communion letters where people started sending you letters and you gathered all those together. Have you come to any sort of firm conclusions as to what this all means? So I don't have a firm conclusion, but the first book was um, called The Messengers. And that's nearly 400 pages, just a little shy of 400 pages. And that is um, uh, th- that was where I argue and try to make my case that there is a connection between owls and UFOs. I also make the connection between other, like what I refer to as highly charged events. That would be death. Um, owls and death are connected. Uh, meditation. Shamanic initiation shows up too, which is very weird. Or the shaman, like a, the, the shamanic journey or the shamanic initiation shows up. Um, mushrooms, but, um, psychedelics, particularly mushrooms owls and mushrooms and then meditation so here are these it's these kind of altered states of consciousness in a way i mean death is obviously a highly altered state of consciousness but and then and i would say that people who have close-up ufo contact are they, they all describe, all describe a, 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 a form of a uh, uh, altered state of consciousness there now uh oh i'm getting a little bit of an echo somewhere here um now uh so that's the first book now i'll tell you i was a a much calmer person after completing that first book. That was about a five-year process to write the first book. The second book took about two years, and that was, as I told you, was when I wrote the first book, I had to take, I would talk to someone on the phone for seven hours, right? And you've, you know what I'm talking about. Where, yeah. And then you would have to boil that down to two paragraphs. And it broke my heart, you know? So the second book was was sort of my allowing myself to really tell these stories completely because I felt they, that that need, that's part of the, the UFO lore that doesn't get explored that often, This that complexity to these stories and almost absurd complexity at times. So that, that, that book came out in February of this year. I also read the entire book into a microphone. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> and that was, it's also available as an audio book. And this, the second book is called Stories from the Messengers. Now your, your other question was, what are my conclusions? Now I had to answer this and Richard Dolan kind of like, you know, held my feet to the flame and said, you, you can't not answer what, you know, what's owls. So I came up with four things and I got to do this off the top of my head. Now, number one is that owls are alarm clocks, right? They are here to wake us up, right? The event I had in the mountains in 2006, the owls woke me up and I started looking into my own experiences. Number two is the owls, and this is not in any order, but the number two is the owls are here to announce initiation. This goes into that shamanic thing where where people... Like if you were, if you are going through a shamanic initiation, 
people are seeing owls. It's common. It's commonly known within the within the circles of of like native cultures. Um, so the announce in initiation that implies that the UFO contact or UFO sighting even is some form of initiation. And I think that's a that's a good thread to pull on. There's no okay. hard and fast answers here. Now, number three would be the owl is the totem. Now, we're getting into symbolism here. The owl is the symbol of the transformational process. I've talked to so many people who've had owl experiences and seen UFOs, and they all say, oh, my life was going along this way, and I was leading, leading this life, and then something changed, and I started to do healing work, or I started to do spiritual work, or I quit my job at the corporation and, and started to follow my dreams, and I became an artist. That's the kind of story I'm hearing. The fourth one is... I do all four yet? Let me just think here. I'm trying to blank in the fourth one. Hmm. I'll think of it in a second. Um, owls are, oh, owls are an archetype. So okay. you're being confronted with an archetype. You're being confronted with some, a deeper symbolic meaning, right? You go to the movie theater and you sit in your seat and you watch Star Wars and you are watching Luke Skywalker, but you are seeing an archetype. Now that arch, you're just watching an adventure movie, right? But at somewhere deep down, that symbolic story of the hero is embedded in all of us. And I would argue that the owl is somehow embedded in all of us. In the second book, more than the first book, I argued that the, the, um, the ancient mythologies of the owl are, are rising up present day. We're, we presently live in a society that is not dependent on mythology you know, turn the clock back several hundred years. If we were living in ancient Greece or, or living in a teepee out in the plains of South Dakota, we would have been, myth would have played a very vital role. It doesn't play that role in our lives anymore. Yet these owl stories, these owl experiences are still playing out. So people don't have an outlet for them. In a way they have me in a funny way, because they can send, you know, unless you know, they, I get the letters and I have to sort of play the role of, of therapist sometime and say, you know, talk people through some of their experiences. I'm not sure how good I'm doing at that, but um, so the owl would be an archetype and the, the symbolic messages are still being delivered present day, the same as they have been all throughout history. The source of that mythology is still active and vital there. Wow. Wow. Interesting that you would have uh, the alarm clock thing, because I've actually got a new lecture that I call the theory of wow. And I, I sort of make this sort of like, you know, a little theoretical idea that maybe on another planet, this is a science fair project. And the grade one class is putting, um, you know, they, they're told we need to get a message across to these people, these natives on this planet. And they say, let's put lights on crafts. And then another, the other one says, let's put uh, crop circles. Grade three does crop circles. And maybe grade two is doing the, the, the symbols and the owls and, and dragging people into this thing. So it's, it's interesting you came up with the same idea that uh, that may, to me, played a big part in because a lot of the stuff that is is happening doesn't make any sense at all until you start to look at sort of the symbol behind it. Because people think it's a random event, and I think you would agree that it's probably not. These are not a random events. These these events that are happening. My sense is, and I have to go to this metaphor, right? I have to sort of go to cartoony metaphor. I sense that there's this grand chessboard. Maybe it's made of glass, right? And the chess yeah. masters can peer down through the glass and they can look down at us and move the pieces around like, oh, let's let's just take Mike Clellan and like, you know, mess up his life over here at this chapter. Yeah. And we can we can see the chess master can see 15 moves ahead. I don't know what's going on down here. Like all of a sudden I'm thrust into this new life. And um and that's my sense. Now here, this is here's a weird one for you, and you'll understand exactly where I'm coming from this. 
I have had so many people with these owl experiences. It is off the charts how many people are Reiki healers that are doing Reiki healing work. Wow. Especially in the second book. And if they're not doing Reiki work, they're doing other sorts of healing work. Um, they're reading, they're tarot readers or they're or out and out, you know, nurses or doctors or shamans. Now, I or if they're not shamans, they're doing a shaman like that. And I'm kind of taking a couple steps back and being sort of loose with the definition, but I would say that Reiki healing is a shaman-like activity. It's not truly shamanism, but it's a healing modality that is um, based on you know, energetics. I, I would imagine in your letters, and you've probably come across through your early research, other birds. You know, Colin Andrews has hummingbirds. Call, Chris Bledsoe has hummingbirds. This Hollywood guy's got hawks. Have you have you gotten any sort of idea about that and how it might tie in these other birds that people are the yeah. experiencers that are talking about? Yeah, I have some great stories about birds. Yeah, so here I'm going to tell some story here, and I got to be very careful because like, a woman hasn't given me permission to tell it. So, um, yeah. uh, this woman contacts me. She says, "I got this hawk living in my in my." She's a she's a private detective, which is great. It's, it's like a great yeah. job. To, someone kind of you're a private detective. You're calling me. You can't figure it out. Okay, she says, "I got a hawk. It's like hangs out at my house. It like waits for me to come home. It sits on the garage and it comes in and I, and what do I do?" And I'm like. Uh, I don't know. Um, go out and talk to the hawk next time you see it. So she goes out and she says, Mr. Hawk, you know, I respectfully ask, you know, or, you know, why you're here. Can you please tell me? And the hawk looks at her, like gives this blank stare. And she goes in the house and the phone rings and there's no one on the other end of the phone. And they have like the, the uh, search mechanism where the township comes in, you know, the town comes in and the township is Florence, Ohio. No. And she's living in, and she's like, they get the thing out, they get the phone book out, and they get like cut up, and there is no Florence, Ohio. They, she's a private detective. She does a little bit of digging, and she realizes there was an old telephone exchange called Florence, Ohio. It's no longer in use. It was just like the way they they needed to name something, so they because of the way the telephone lines used to work, it doesn't make any difference now. But it's still listed as Florence, Ohio. Her mother had recently died. Her mother's name was Florence. Oh wow. So, like, she asked the hawk, what, you know, tell me why you're here. Give me a sign. The phone rings, and it's her mother's name. And then you back-engineer that, and there's basically nowhere, there's no phones there. So, yes, this, is, this stuff gets very, um, so yes, yeah, so hawks, hawks, hummingbirds, ravens, and crows. A lot of ravens and crow stories. But my focus is owls, and I think that owls are, are you know, in many ways a more highly charged, uh, you know, uh, especially in in mythology. Oh, what, I just had a great one recently. Oh, I just, there's a wonderful story of someone had a, um, a great white heron comes home, walks into his house, and there's a great white heron, like, you know, the big giant storks that are, like, you know, yeah. five feet tall sitting on his couch. He's like, uh, how did you get into his, how did you get in the house? Path of communication with this thing, and it basically says, you're smart enough to see me as a symbol. I am here to boost your creative mind. I'm paraphrasing from memory now, but that's basically the story. It was a great story. And it just played out, you know, like the, like the, it basically it said, there is an importance to the story and I'm giving you a story. So, wow. 
Uh, let's talk about randomness. You mentioned the chessboard. Do you believe that you have this mission? We are, I was asking experiencers that in terms of being dragged into this thing, that this this was something you had to do, that you had no choice about this? Ay, ay, ay. I got to be careful. So I just had, so you, this is, I'm so I'm going to respectfully give you half an answer. Okay, okay. Sure. <laughs> I had a recent hypnosis session with Yvonne Smith in Los Angeles. This went back in August. Okay. I'm still processing it. I'm kind of, it kind of, it kind of was so absurd that, that um, I don't know what to believe. But you had tried oh. regression before with Bud, right? And it didn't work, correct? I didn't learn much. I had tried, you know what? I actually did it. I did a, uh, I tried it with Bud. I tried it with Leo. I tried it with Barbara Lamb. And I, um, but, you know, with Bud, I actually, a few little things came up. Um, more a sense of mood or tone. Remember earlier on, here's what came up with Bud. Um, uh, I told earlier on, I just kind of dismissed, I kind of just said it fast. I said, oh, I saw five gray aliens out my window. Now, when that happened, I was 30 years old and I sat up in bed and there was a bright light shining in the bedroom window. I was living all alone in this house in northern Maine. And there was a voice in my head that said, oh, yes, we're here. Now is the time to put your head on the pillow and shut down. Now, this is scary, right? I'm seeing like five creepy gray aliens walking towards the house and there ain't no one in the house but me. And I mean, why didn't I freak out? I calmly laid my head on the pillow and went to sleep. The next morning, I never went out to even look if there were footprints in the snow. What came up with Bud was an palpable sense of familiarity. It was like, oh, oh, it's them again. Oh, it's them. And it felt like, oh, like, yeah, those guys. I mean, like it was almost like, um, you know, when you, you share your computer and you can like two people can share the same computer and if they have different passwords, it's like, whoop, the computer's totally different, right? It has a different uh, desktop. It has all the different programs and everybody, it's the same thing. You just open it with a different password. That's what it felt like. It felt like, oh, it's still me, but I'm like, whoop, I'm like, I'm like someone opened me with a different password and everything was different. That was my sense. That was just a feeling, but that had a big impact on me. Once again, I'm like, I'm pretty cautious with hypnosis that just because I had that feeling doesn't make it true, but it's something I, I reflect upon now. So the recently, uh, I'll just sum this up shortly. And I had the experience. It was tied into an event that happened to me in Southern Utah, where I saw a round structure on a hill. I was sleeping outside. Yeah. And that night, like it felt like, Something happened, like all kinds of stuff happened that night. And I was basically looking at a flying saucer on a hillside while I was lying in my sleeping bag. I, I bet you I looked at this thing for an hour. I woke up, I went back to sleep, the flying saucer's there. And it was like, oh, it's a roundhouse. There's no flying saucer there. Now, when I sleep, you know, there's a way that I, I, I have a gloves in case my hand gets cold. I set the gloves kind of in my jacket. And I've, I've slept a thousand nights out. I've done this. It's like I'm done it a thousand times. I put my gloves, I like just, you know, a synthetic fluffy gloves in case my hands get cold when I'm sleeping. I just put it and I set them in my jacket so I know where they are because I don't have to unzip anything. And and I got up the next morning, the gloves were still in there. Now, if I had stood up, the, the gloves would have fallen out. I had a, I had a, in the session with Yvonne, I'll tell this very briefly, because this is the first time I've talked about this. Um, and I want to put this out and put it online and stuff like that. I feel like I kind of need to do it a little more formally. I had the experience in this hypnotic regression. This doesn't make it true, but this is my memory of kind of floating out of body. And I'm looking down at this round building. 
And then the next thing I know, I'm walking in a hall. And I'm looking down at myself and I'm I'm short. I recognize it right away. Like, I'm really short. Like, I'm six foot tall. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm short. I'm not six foot tall right now. And, and I looked down at my hands and my hands were long, skinny fingers. And I'm like, it was the calmest feeling in the world in this hypnosis session. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm like in an outfit. I'm like, <clears throat> I'm like in a, like an, like a alien suit. Like I'm, I'm like, I've, t- I'm, it's like I'm taking on the identity of an alien to be on this craft. And it was kind of the sense was if I, like I couldn't get on the craft. I entered the craft in an out of body realm. I entered this alien suit and I was walking around fully as an alien and just interacting with these other aliens. I mean, the classic ugly gray aliens with the big black eyes. And I went into this conference room and in visually, this was a, like a conference room in a crappy hotel in like Muncie, Indiana. This was, this was not of clean white interior of a, of a spacecraft or something like that. So like, I'm very cautious, but I had this kind of point counterpoint with these, with this, these beings behind a desk in this is in the hypnosis session. And it was like, why did you, why did you make me come here? And they would say, you volunteered. And I would say, I didn't know it would be this hard. And they would say, you volunteered. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And they would say, now is the time. And that was it. Pretty much it never went beyond that. Why did I come here? You volunteered. What am I supposed to do? Now is the time. And that was so, and then I, all of a sudden I was like, this went on. I mean, when you do hypnosis, it's like a long process. It's deadly dull listening to the hypnotherapy trans, you know, transcribing it in these long pauses and you just short little sentences. But, um, I don't know if that really happened, but you were asking me, you know, did you come here with a mission? And I, it like, it basically said, I, the implication is that I came on some soul level I agreed to come here. I chose to come here, not knowing it would be this difficult, being in this physical realm. And and when they said, "Now is the time," I had no idea what that meant. Yeah. Like they that- were saying, they were very clear. Now is the time. They didn't stray from that. And so I, they gave me very brief answers, and I was I was. My sense is that um, there's like a, the way I described it. I think I was actually, this is right after I got out of the hypnosis session, I described it to um, Yvonne. It said, it felt like, you know, like the secret agent handed me an envelope <laughs> and I haven't opened the envelope yet. I'm holding the envelope, but I can't open it yet, right? It's got this, like, like I can't break the seal yet. That's what it feels like, which is kind of a cheating thing to thing, but that's, that's the impression I got. Yeah, because we'll, let's go back to your, you used to have a uh, podcast and you used to, I think it was one of the best podcasts ever, and I uh, hope oh, thank you, you go back and do some of these. with. And you were basically talking to experiencers, and I remember, and you can maybe go through this, that was, and I use this because you used to use it. You'd say to them, on a scale of one to ten, about the mission. So go through that. You were, you were talking. Well, I, would say, I would say to people, I remember, I'd say on a scale of one to ten, what's your sense of mission? And there'd be this pause, and they'd go, um, 11? <laughs> <laughs> So and I, it's funny because I asked Colin Andrews that he would and he went um nine and a half and I was like you are so polite you are so British you know and I called him on it right in the moment like you're it's like yes 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 so um but I did a podcast series for six years and you know you know what happened What's the that? book the book project just totally took over my life and I didn't have time to to 
to do the podcast. It was like either I'm going to sit down and work on the book or I'm going to sit down and work on a podcast. You know, it takes a long time. You edit these things. And I was very formal about editing and making sure it sounded well. And I would do long ones. They were two plus hours long. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, uh, and then afterwards, this is going to, after I finished the book, I felt like I was a much calmer person. Like I have been straight up. That podcast series was my therapy. Right. I didn't have like I, there was nobody I could go to and lie on their couch and tell my problems to. So I had to like, you know, get Whitley Strieber to come on and like and then bend his ear and basically like <laughs> here's the like, oh, here's what I'm going through and, and kind of use those folks as a as a as someone to talk to about, you know, coming to terms with this stuff. I feel like I processed a lot with that first big fat book. Um, yeah. And and now I don't feel the need or the pull to do the to do the pot. There's lots of people I want to talk to, and I feel like I could do a great interview with. But but there was a desperate kind of neediness in me almost to the, that podcast. You can hear it in some of the episodes too. Yeah, and you had a hard time coming across. I think it was that Utah event that sort of flipped you over because I remember you were telling you'd always say, oh, "I really don't know." I mean, there's these symbols, but I really don't know if I'm an experiencer. And I think it was that event. So maybe describe that Utah event. What happened there? And oh, I, yeah, straight up confirmation event, straight up confirmation. Event. So it's very visual, right? So I have to. So I, I just explained it. I, I was coming back from the UFO conference, the Congress in in outside of Phoenix, and I lived in Idaho. And the conference is in is in Arizona. To get you got to drive through Utah, right? But to get from yeah. Arizona to 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 Idaho, you got to drive through Utah. And I love Southern Utah. So I was taking the smallest back roads. It's beautiful. I just, my heart just has got, is drawn to that landscape. Um, and I sleep outside all the time. So I have a big fat winter sleeping bag. It's March. It's cold at night. So I have a big fat winter sleeping bag. I pulled off the side of the road. I laid my sleeping bag down. I, a big pillow. I was ready. And it was a beautiful night, cold and calm. And I woke up and I looked up at this hillside and I said, that looks just like a landed flying saucer. And all this other stuff happened that night. There was coyotes nearby. There was this bright light behind a bush nearby. Um, and I got up the next morning and I don't remember actually, it was dark when I left. I don't actually remember looking up at the hill. But the first thing I did when I got home was I, which is about 10 hours, 12 hours or whatever from where I was parked. The first thing I did when I got home was, was, um, sit down and look up on Google Maps to see if there was a big building on that hillside. And so I did a lot of outdoor work and I've done a lot of map work. I'm very, very skilled with topography, you know, topographical maps. Yeah. So yeah. I got on and I knew exactly the hill. I knew exactly the two humps between the hill. I was knew exactly where I was sleeping. I knew exactly the road and everything. So I, I, there's nothing there on the map. Now something could have been built there. The, the photographs could have been taken. The satellite photographs could have been taken. I went back to the spot, nothing there. There's nothing there. I mean, so, I mean, now I went back to the spot a year later, but that afternoon when I was trying to do this map work, figure it out, I actually drew a picture of the, of the image. I did a blog post. I said, here's this weird thing that happened. I, after I did the blog post, after I drew the picture of the round structure on the house, a kind of a Photoshop thing, it turned out very accurate in my mind to what I saw. Um, I'm standing in the living room in my house right next to my desk. And I'm like, all of a sudden there's this moment. Like it felt like God just like click, click. I had a one second slideshow. I had a single slide image of a map of Southern Utah with a totally straight line, a yellow line, totally straight and three push pins on the, on the map. 
And I knew what the one was. The one was the thing that happened two nights before. I had been back a day by that point. So, um, and I just sat down and created the map and I knew what the other one was. The other one was an event in Dolores, Colorado. And that one plays out like UFO contact. That one's got so many synchronicities tied to it. That had, I was, I felt like I was floating out of a tent. I was sleeping outside in a tent near Dolores, Colorado. I knew exactly where that spot is too on a map too. And I floated up and I passed through the top of the tent and I said, am I on a table? Am I on a table? Am I on a table? And then whoosh, I'm back in the tent. Now that I don't know what, what happened. That's my memory. Yeah. The next morning I woke up with a big scratch on my body. I, there was like, um, so anyway, and I like I couldn't leave that town. I had uh, car trouble, and basically the mechanic at the little town said, "We can't let you leave town, or you'll die," um, <laughs> because my brakes were failing, and they were failing. I could tell they were failing, and um, so they had I had to, like anyway. It was a long, complicated story. So that's one end of the map, and in the middle, I was sleeping out near the Burr Trail Road in southern Utah, uh, and I. Uh, was listening to the sound of a great horned owl right next to my head. I never saw it. I was listening to it. Unmistakable, loud. It was magical. It was like the coolest thing ever. Beautiful, starry night in the desert. I'm sleeping out under the stars, a cold night, and and I'm listening to this owl. This was in 2011. And my friend Natasha was camping with me, she was jet lagged. She's from Germany. She's like, I need to do something. I'm going to take a walk. And I, I encouraged her to take a walk. And she said, the walk was so beautiful. The air was so still. The stars were so magnificent. It was no moon. And she said, it was so magical. She said, it felt like I was sparkling. And as I'm, I'm listening to this owl, she's walking along the road. It's a quiet, safest place on the planet Earth is southern Utah. And she's walking along this road and she sees this light on the side of the road and it light comes up to her and kind of gets close to her. She thought it was someone with a flashlight out in the sagebrush and it's a floating orb. So she's seeing a floating orb. It gets up close to her. Poof, it disappears, scares her. She comes back to me. So she sees a floating orb as I'm listening to an owl near my head. Now, what happened was those three events lined up so precisely on a map that it it was mind-blowing for me and it was just this calm recognition that my old life is over and my new life has begun and that was the confirmation event so we have we have events and i had one and i want to ask you about whether you found this sort of thing where you sort of open yourself up and you wait for the next sort of clue so i want to ask you is there any sort of road that you think you have to go down after your second book but I want to ask you, because I had an event happen, this happened in the last three weeks, and it has to do with a ports. And a ports are these things that appear, disappear, coins falling out of the sky and stuff. Sure. Yeah. And I just want to ask you if you've gotten any of these experiences. There was, I, I got into this just only a couple of weeks ago. Ray Hernandez told me this very bizarre story. And then I get to the um, the conference in the, the Skyworks or the Starworks USA conference, and everybody's talking about a ports. We have the, the, the Navajo Rangers have... 64 coins fell all heads up. Um, I, the guy that runs the doors had 40 dimes show up, uh, all basically heads up. And then these kind of objects appearing, disappearing. And I suddenly realized this is like my next obsession is these. Support. So <laughs> have you ever run across these support things with with experiencers where things are appearing, like with the Skinwalker Ranch, where the, 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 the hairbrush disappears and it's in the freezer and stuff like that? A little bit, a little bit. I have I'm I'm tough pressed to come up with something good right off the top of my head, but oh yes, very much so. 
And what about your your situation in terms of is there any sort of clues that you can sort of give us as to where you think you have to go next? Well, I'm certainly flooded with the owl stuff. I, you know what? It's interesting. I'm doing a book of fiction right now. I'm kind of working on a book of fiction right now. Wow. And I'm also working on a collection of blog posts. That's going to go pretty quick, I think. Just my blog will be 10 years old. And I'm like, well, heck, I should just put out a collection of the blog posts because there's some work in there that I was very proud of. Yeah. Um, but I'm working on a book of fiction. And um, yeah, so in I think I'm just kind of, it feels like I'm, I got no problem with the track I'm on, right? It seems like the, you know, like the path I'm on right now has been so fruitful and so rewarding. It's like, this is pleasant. I would be very cautious to write the book about owls. Like, it's like you took, put those two books together. It's like 700 pages. Like I like made my case. If you read both those books, yeah. you like, I've like writing a third book. I basically, I would just be telling more stories that kind of match the stories that are already in there. Um, but I'm certainly collecting stories and, uh, so yeah, so that's my sense now is that um, I don't know, I don't know if something comes up and and I get dragged if, and and fate pulls me in a certain direction, I'll I'll trust that and and see what happens. Why did you Why did you decide to do a fiction book? And what was the What's the fiction book about? Like, got... so the fiction book is about um, you know, it's funny because I was writing a comic book. Like I wrote a comic book in like 2010, 11, and it was sort of fun. I was like, I could do a graphic novel. And I kind of wrote this script. And then all of a sudden I got sidetracked and did a bunch of other stuff. And I came back to the comic book. I found the, you know, I wrote a full script of it. And I kind of read this thing. I was like, you know, this is pretty good. I like this. This would be a fun story. And it's and it's a comic book by nature. So the, 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 the story is it's go back down to the desert. It's a desert southwest. It's basically a guy walks into the, to the, has a almost like a shamanic awakening. He walks into the desert, turns his back on everything in real life, and he fully expects to die in the desert. And then he sort of arrives at this town, and it's kind of a twilight zone little town, and there's kind of a mystery there. So, and there's owls in it, and UFOs and such like that. So he's coming to his own awakening experience through this story, and it's been fun to write. And I've kind of put it on the back shelf a little bit now to finish up this uh, set of blog posts book, which should be out um, when the blog turns 10 years old in March of 2019. Wow. And you, you did, um, a, some documentary work. Maybe you can talk about with, with Bud Hopkins. You never went that, public. That thing with it. never, that, that never saw the light of day. We, you know, it was funny cause, cause, um, I, um, you know, I wasn't very good subject, right? Cause I was basically the premise of that documentary was that like, I had never looked into my own experiences and I was like a blank slate. And the documentary, this is like a small town I lived in. There's a guy, his name is Steven. He was an amazing guy, him and his wife. Um, they were between projects. They did some Hollywood stuff and they said, let's make a documentary. And then I was like explained that like, oh, I feel like I got to look into this. And like, this is, you know, and Bud was very, very supportive of that. Like someone who has never looked into their own experiences, you know, going around and talking to abduction researchers. What happened was like, I wasn't making progress in the way that would be dynamic for a documentary was great for me. I was making personal progress and, 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 but it wasn't the kind of thing that made for sort of razzle dazzle. Uh, and we, we just shot a handful of hours. And so there's some wonderful footage of me talking with Bud and there's wonderful footage of me talking with Leo Sprinkle and Dave Jacobs. And, and, um, so, but it kind of got stalled out and we just never went back to it. And that's now 11 years or 12 years ago now. So. Well, and, and you had, um, you had encounters with all of them, I, I would imagine, all the abduction researchers. Well, I've met a bunch of them. I'm not sure all of them. I've never met um, John um, or um, John Mack. No, no, I never met John Mack. Yeah, I never met John Mack. And I'm, um, 
but yeah, so many of them, and I feel like I'm on good terms with them. And it's interesting because I feel like I'm a little bit, this is really like, I feel like I'm a peer now. I'm, I, this is obviously there are folks out there that have done a lot of work, yeah. very serious work, but I feel like I can, you know, like I can bring my own ideas to the table and, and, and as a, as a peer in a way, and it's been really rewarding. Let's. Can we go through the? Um, you were sent by Bud, I think, to Leo. Have you got any sort of takes on you know this whole? This is a good phenomena. This is a bad phenomena in terms of your personal experiences. You know, it's funny. I had I had a friend of mine. She she uh, she because this is like tough, right? So if you say, oh, you know, if you have a negative attitude, you're going to bring it. This is what Leo says. Leo says, if you have a negative attitude, you're going to bring on negative experiences. The universe is going to reflect that back to you, which is, you know, there's something to be said for that. And there's, I don't have an answer and I don't think anyone has a true answer. And, you know, someone like Bud would say, oh, he sees the whole thing as something dark. And then someone like Barbara Lamb sees the whole thing as something kind of glowing and angelic. So there's, and then I'm trying to stay neutral. I'm obviously not neutral because I'm involved in it, but I'm trying to stay neutral and see. And this one woman, she gave the best definition. She said, you know, some people are just shit out of luck and they get the bad experiences. And then, cause, cause if you are the researcher and say, Oh, you have a bad attitude. That's why you have bad experiences. You, you're yeah. seeing the world through a negative lens. That's a lot of, that's a pretty big bunch of baggage to lump on someone <laughs> who's having these experiences. That's a little unfair. So, um, so yeah, so I think shit out of luck is, is, is as good of a way. I'm not sure if I can swear here, but uh, that's as good of a way to, uh, to, to, to sum it up, I think, as any. And, and uh, so I don't have a good answer to that. Though I will certainly say that there are, I just, there are certainly folks that have been through hard experiences. And where's Ray Hernandez when we need him? Because he's done the actual demographics and statistics on this. Um, there are people who have been through hard experiences somehow as the years go on, as they do the hard work. And this is where, uh, John Mack, people can, people can transcend these hard experiences and, and turn this very traumatic, confusing, mixed up, absurd, unbelievable thing into something positive, you know, by going really deep. And that's what I've tried to do in these owl books is to go as deep, deep, deep as I can go. Maybe just we've got about a minute and a half left. Can you give me just a quick, say, 30 second or uh, on screen imaging versus actual owls? Is there are we getting both or is it? Well, all I'm getting both in, in my reports now. So what I did in the book is I, t I did the screen image thing and I just got rid of it first. The screen, I don't want to say boring. That's not that interesting. So people are seeing these four foot tall owls on the side of the road. They get you know, they're driving along. They see a four foot tall owl. I'm paraphrasing this really quick. Eventually, they go through hypnosis, let's say. Um, this, yeah. And they all, the hypnotherapist will say, so describe this owl, this four-foot-tall owl. And the person under hypnosis will say, well, it's bald. It's got big black eyes and a tight, shiny spacesuit. And I don't think this is an owl. So they're describing a screen memory. They're describing something that seemingly would be the gray alien projecting an image into the mind of the observer through, I don't know how it's done, through technology, through through means I don't know. It's not just owls. It's deer and raccoons and cats and firemen and Jesus and dead relatives. So all these things show up as a screen memory. Now, what I'm more interested in is these real owls that show up at the time of the event. When I when I was in the mountains in 2006, those were real owls. Yeah. Like they were they were right in front of me. They were owl size. They were doing owl things. They were tiny. They were 
And so those were real owls. I heard a voice in my head say, this has something to do with UFOs. It was a message. It was an alarm clock. It was an initiation. It was a shamanic initiation. It was a transformative event. It was an archetype. I was thrust into this new chapter of my life, and I have been, for better or for worse, I mean, it's certainly impacted my bank account, I'll tell you, but it has been incredibly rewarding. Okay, so where, where can, where, where, would name your two books, and then if somebody's got an owl story, where should they, who should they, how should they contact you? So two books are The Messengers. That's about 400 pages. The second one's a little shorter. It's about 280 pages. That's called Stories from the Messengers. Um, it can be read in either order. I have two websites. One of them is the, my key website is called the hiddenexperience.blogspot.com or just hidden experience. It'll come right up. Um, the other one is is just mikeclellan.com. I got the domain name and it. It, it links to the other site, basically. Um, either site you can leave a message on. And... Uh, and I'm taking these stories. I want to hear your stories. If you've had an interesting owl story, I would love to hear it. I take this research very seriously. Honored to have you on, Mike. And I will send you my two owl stories that I just picked up there that, that I will pass on to you. And thanks for being on the show. You've been listening to The Cameron Files with Grant Cameron. Any rebroadcast or duplication of this program or program content without express written permission from the KGRA DB is strictly prohibited. The Cameron Files, in direct cooperation with the internet website presidentialufo.com.